Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, if you could turn your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. I want to uh, make sure everybody has their seatbelts on and security locks the doors because the title of our message tonight is Malachi, the book of God's rebuke. But in that rebuke is a lot of love because God doesn't want to see anyone to perish, but everybody to come to eternal life. The definition of rebuke is express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. Now, it's been a while. I, I want to say it's been at least a month and a half since we got into or since the book of Malachi was covered. Last time it was chapter 1. So a real quick uh, review of it. Malachi, if you remember, his name means messenger. And one of the things I tried to tie in was you and I are the messengers of God. We're to be like a Malachi. We're to bring the gospel, the good news of salvation to those people God puts in our path. Now, this particular book written by Malachi was a message given to Israel. Um, you and I always need to anticipate a message from the Lord. Anytime we get together, that's one of the reasons we come together, is to fellowship, but also to hear from the Lord as a body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. So one of the things we anticipate, and a question I ask is, what message will Jesus give you tonight? Might not be the same as the person behind you or next to you. In chapter one, God's love is everywhere and for everyone. Goes beyond the borders of Israel. It's for the whole world. It's for everybody. Everyone is a creation of God. God wants everybody to be saved. Also in chapter 1, God's greatness, as I just said, to reiterate it, is, reaches far beyond just Israel, northern and southern kingdoms. It was for everybody. It was for the pagan nations. Okay, those who worshipped false gods. Also, in chapter 1, God addressed the nation and started to address the priest's conduct. So the people who followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were being dishonorable to God, the one true God. The priests were bringing defiled sacrifices. Other nations were honoring God more than his nation was. Something. The nation that God founded, other nations were honoring him more. For you and I, just like the people back then, our actions reveal our heart. Our actions reveal our heart, our heart attitude. Now, one of the things that was going on in chapter 1 that we saw is that the priest and the people were bored with the things of God. It became ritualistic. It became very methodical. They were bored going to the temple. They were bored doing the sacrifices. 
They said it was too hard to serve the Lord. And when I was reading this, I was thinking of Zechariah 4, 6, that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by God's spirit, says the Lord. So you and I, as we walk this walk together with Jesus Christ, it's not by how hard we try to do things. It's not by ritual and programs. As I prayed, it's a relationship with the living Savior. It's through His Spirit that He enables you to walk with Him. It's not based on our efforts. It's based on our hard attitude towards a living, risen Savior. In Galatians 3.3, it says, Are you foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Hopefully everybody in this place tonight has come to that relationship with Jesus where you are his son or his daughter. You came to him by faith. The question that Paul is putting in Galatians is, you came to Christ in faith, are you now going back to the works of the flesh, the works of the law, to try to maintain that relationship? You have to see it's a distinct difference. Following the law, trying to do things, is totally opposite of being led by God's Spirit. That's something that we, as a body of believers here at this church, have to always make sure we're following God's Spirit and not the legalistic things of that Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament was the tutor. The the Ten Commandments were a tutor to lead us to Christ. Once we have Jesus Christ, the tutor can go home. We have the teacher. He's our teacher. We just need to listen to what he's teaching us and follow the lead of his spirit. Now I'd like you to turn to chapter 2. You guys can take that off. That's okay. We don't need that anymore, Steve. Okay, chapter 2. What I like to do is, uh, there's 17 verses. I want to read the 17 verses so you get an uh, overview of everything. And then we'll go back and pick some of it apart. Okay, so if you follow along with me, Malachi chapter 2. And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. 
Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet he who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Father, as we look at these 17 verses or whatever we get through tonight, we just pray that you would help us to understand those things that you want us to understand at this time of history in our lives. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of tonight's message is A Blood Covenant. That should, when you think about it, a blood covenant, that should really grab your attention if you realize that blood has been shed to form a covenant with you. That something had to die or someone had to die in order for this covenant to be made with you. And the seriousness of that covenant, not to be taken lightly. And as human beings, it's easy for us to get into a routine and take things lightly. As we look at the opening verses, and now, O priests, this commandment is for you. Did you know that according to the scriptures, that you are a priest? Whether you're a male or a female, you're a priest and a king or a princess or a queen of a living God? And what is a priest? A priest brings man's request to God. And a priest lets the people know what God wants them to know. For some people that are in your path, you're going to be the only one that might ever tell them about God because they don't go into a church. They don't read the scriptures. So as a priest, you're a messenger of the living God. You're someone that God has prepared by putting his word in your heart to have an influence on the people that come in your path. Now, of course, 
you are an intercessor for those who are unsaved. You can pray for the unsaved people, whether they're family members, friends, people at, at your workplace. You, you and I have a tremendous responsibility, but also a tremendous privilege. As people who are sons and daughters of the king, that can have an influence for the kingdom and for our Father in heaven by loving other people and praying them and sharing with them things about Jesus Christ and what he's done and is doing, will continue to do for all eternity. Notice also in this verse, it says, this commandment is for you. It's not a multiple choice. It's not a true and false. It's a command from the living God. It says in Mark 4 and a couple times in Revelation and in other parts of the scriptures, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I was just talking to uh, the field hockey team today and teenagers, like adults, are very quick to speak and very slow to listen before they speak. You know, and I'm sure we've all heard that God gave us two ears to listen twice as hard and listen twice as much before, so we only have one mouth before we speak. And there's a reason for that. You know, God has given us the ability to take things in and, and think about them, pray about it, let it sink down in our heart before we act on it. Do we do that? Verse 2. And if you will not take it to heart, okay, if you will not take it to heart, remember one of the things I mentioned earlier, actions reveal your heart. Rituals and going through the motions don't show your heart. It shows a boredom. It shows a repetitiveness. It's not coming from your heart. You're just doing it out of habit. God wants our hearts to be poured into worship. He wants our hearts to be poured into each other. He wants our hearts to be poured into listening. He wants our hearts to be poured into teaching. We serve a passionate God who has given us a passion for him, for his creation. And who he puts in our path are there for a reason, whether it's just to pray for him, whether it's to share the gospel, whether it's to help him out, whatever it is, to love them, with the grace and mercy that God has loved you and I. It says here in verse 2, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts. I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you not, do not take it to heart. In Deuteronomy 28.20, it says, the Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Now, we live in the age of grace. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was a covenant of do's and don'ts. It was over 600 laws that you had to follow. We know them condensed into the Ten Commandments. We now have a blood covenant of Jesus' blood the New Testament, the New Covenant, that God has done the work. He's finished the work. You don't have to do it. You just have to live in the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ 
because you have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God in you if you are a believer. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer, then God has you here for a reason so you can hear his word and allow him to speak to you through it. Verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuge, refuse on your face, faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. Now, one of the things that the Lord required in Exodus 29, 14, he says, But the flesh of the bull and his skin and his dung shalt thou burn with fire without the camp. It is a sin offering. Now notice in verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your descendants. I'll, I'll spread the dung on your face. God will put the, their faces right in the dung, right in the refuse. Just picture that. Just picture that view of what he's trying to paint for us. And they'll be taken away. Remember what was supposed to happen to the bull after it was killed. That everything was going to be burned outside the camp. And here we see here that one will take you away with it. See, if we don't have the right heart, we stink before the Lord. We're unrighteous before God himself. He requires you and me to be holy. Now, your first thought might be what? How can I ever be holy? That's an easy one. You can't. You can't. It's impossible. But through Jesus Christ, you can because you're covered in his blood. He set you apart, which is what holy means. You're set apart for him. You're here tonight, right now, hearing God's word. His word is washing you. It's cleansing you. It's developing you. It's getting you ready for the next phase of his development. That's what God wants us to do, to obey his word. Verse 4, then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you. Notice, everyone will know about God. Everyone will know that his commandment is true. We live in a time that there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ, outside the body of Christ. And there is a reason for that. It's very simple. People aren't obeying God's word. They're not obeying God's commands. They're doing their own thing. They're mixing it together with ways of the world. Remember, God has given us his spirit. He has made it simple. But we feel we have to bring in things of the world or things that other th people are doing to mix it with the word. No. That makes it unholy. We've got to stick to the pure the purity of God's word. In verse 4, it talks about the covenant with Levi. In Exodus chapter 32, I think most of us know the story. Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. And when he came down, there were orgies going on. There was a big party. Everything was going on down 
at the base of the mountain. So what Moses called, he asked people to volunteer for an army that would slay the people, and over 3,000 people were killed by the sword that day. Now, it might seem harsh to you that that took place, but understand that God knew the end result of everything that was going to take place with those 3,000 people. God knows what's going to take place in the rest of your life, in the rest of my life. Our hearts want to be pure. We want to stay pure before the Lord. We want to stay holy. We want to stay separated unto Him by following His Spirit. We know there's a lot of temptations out there. We've fallen into sin because of those temptations. But that's not an excuse or a reason to continue in them. We need to check our heart, which is said here a couple times as we continue. But what I want to give to you now is that's the Old Testament where those people were slayed by the sword. In Hebrews 4.12, it says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. God's not looking for us to slay people with a physical sword. He's given us something much more better and much more um, influences much more and heals much better, and that's God's word pierces the deep part of our heart, our spirit, our joints, and our marrow. It discerns every thought of our heart. Notice as we continue in verse 5, my covenant was with him, one of life and peace. Who was the covenant with? It was with Levi. And Levi honored God. He honored him with his heart. I, uh, this morning at Sea at the Pole, um, some of the people in here know Pastor Bruce Kozman, who's been battling uh, throat cancer. Some of you have been praying for him. He's been on a prayer list here. And he came out to pray this morning. He's got his voice back. Thank God he's going back into the pulpit tomorrow night to teach. Um, he lost about 50, 60 pounds, but he's, he's on his way back. And it was great to see him. This is the first time I've seen him since he's been through this ordeal with the throat cancer. But he was very full of life, and he was at peace. And I said, Bruce, what did God show you through these five months of going through the cancer and the chemo and the radiation? And he said, he showed me how weak I need to be to be reliant on him. Now, Bruce was a very good athlete growing up in college, the whole thing. So if you play any games in here, you know how you like to win and you think you can figure out a way to win. Well, Bruce said that part of his nature, which helped him in athletics or things that he did, was a detriment because God wanted to show him you can't do it. It's impossible. He had to learn to swallow again. He had to put a feeding tube in his stomach. So he had actually learned to swallow again. And just swallowing water was very difficult. He took things for granted. And I can say this, and I think you can too, we take many things for granted in our life until what happens? They're taken away or we get sick or we get hurt. 
Lord, I just pray that we always have that freshness and newness of spirit every day, that we take nothing you give us for granted. Even the, just like Bruce was saying, just the swallow. Just that swallow was like oxygen to him. It was just like he, he needed that swallow and it was difficult. He's doing it better now. But just think about that, those things that we take for granted. And I bring up Bruce because in this verse, my covenant was with him, one of life and peace. I saw through Bruce this morning the character of God. Do we show the character of God to other people? Do we display God's character? Your answer, or to develop the right answer to that question, is really just how much time you spend with them. It will reflect in who you are. You'll become more and more like him as you hang with him more and more. Continuing in verse 5, And I gave them to him that he might fear me. What did he give? The covenant. Now that fear is not a fear like a afraid fear. It's a healthy respect. It's a reverence as we continue. So Levi feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. You turn people away from a sin from transgression, just by your relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a godly influence on people, even if you don't know it. Because God's word doesn't return void. God's word in you makes you the person God wants you to be. Are you where, am I where, God wants us to be right now? No, I think the finished product will be in heaven. But I think we, he's developing us. We're his masterpiece that he's working on every day, chipping away, chipping away those things that are less of us and more of him. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. How is the knowledge, guys and girls, that you have? How's the knowledge of the living Savior that you have? Are you ready to give a defense for people when they have a question for you? Do you have that answer in your heart? Remember, by just being with him and reading his word, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say when that time comes because God's Holy Spirit will bring it to light. But you've already equipped yourself by spending time with Him because we don't know what's around the corner tonight or tomorrow morning. We don't know. But God does. He's been there previous. He's already been there. He knows what's coming. We don't. So as we trust and line up with Him, we're going to be ready for those situations. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search with me for all your heart. comes always back to the heart issue. Are you a person here tonight that is seeking the Lord? Are you a person here tonight that calls upon the Lord, that talks to him, that listens to him? 
That is what God requires of us. To seek Him. To listen to Him. To talk to Him. You ever not been talked to by somebody in a while? Or somebody ignores you? Avoids you? Could be somebody in your own family. Could be somebody, a relative. Could be somebody at work. And how you feel when there's not an exchange of words. How's our relationship with our Heavenly Father? How's that communication? Finishing up in Levi 7, it says, For He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Remember, Malachi, the word means messenger. You're a messenger of the Lord of hosts. And one of the definitions of Lord of hosts is the Lord of God's armies. You're a messenger of the army of God. I'm a messenger of the army of God. We're in a battle in 2016. We need to be warriors for Christ. Male and female warriors equipped with the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, our boots, our shoes, our Nike sneakers, ready to go wherever God sends us ready to take those darts that the enemy throws at us. And not to be thin-skinned, but have Christ's skin on us. For we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you and I that live. It's Christ who lives in us and through us. We have to go that way, everybody, because that's God's word to us. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who he's equipped us to be. Verse 8. But you, going back now to the priest in chapter 2 of Malachi, but you, priest, have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. You've departed from the way. For you and I, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. There's no other truth. And there's no other life. You cannot find life in anyone or anything else but Jesus. How tight are you to Jesus? Is his words your words? Is his heart your heart? Is his feelings your feelings? They can be. Through the Holy Spirit he's put in you and through the time that you spend with Jesus Christ. You have caused many to stumble at the law. When the word of God is not taught, people stumble. The word of God is not being taught in the United States of America in every pulpit. It's not happening. People are stumbling. It's not being taught in the Middle East every place. People are stumbling. Who are the ones that are getting it? Who are the ones that understand what's happening in our world all over the place? It's the people of God who are reading his word. They can discern truth and error. They know what's going on as they make themselves available to God's word. Verse 9, Therefore, therefore I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people. See, people get turned off by corrupt teachers if they themselves know the word of God. One more time. People get turned off by corrupt teachers if they themselves know the Word of God. However, there are churches that are filled 
with people not hearing God's word, but hearing positive messages, but they don't know God's word. So what they're hearing from the pulpit sounds good. Sounds good. Marie and I were watching a TV show last night and this um, policeman went before a man of the cloth and asked a question. Well, the guy quoted about two verse, not three, four words from scripture and then went off onto some philosophy. And then his final, his final advice was, well, I want to take it from Godfather 2 and what Michael said to uh, one of his brothers. So that was the advice that he passed on. It wasn't godly counsel. It was worldly counsel. But if you don't know God's word, it's easy to get faked out. It's easy to get faked out where you work. It's easy to get faked out in church. It's easy to get faked out by TV, movies, everything. You have to see everything through the light of the scripture. How well do you know the scripture? Continuing in verse 9, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law, treachery of infidelity, have we not all one Father, verse 10, has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? And again, basically what they were doing, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. Remember, we're talking about the priest. We were talking about the priests who were supposed to represent God to the people. They weren't doing this. They were multiple choice priests. They were taking whatever felt good at the moment and passing it on. They were taken from the people, not given back to the people. They were corrupt. And God is telling Malachi to address them and give them the opportunity through the rebuke to repent. Verse 11, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. Now, he's getting into marriage, okay? And I found a neat commentary by Dave Guzik in uh, one of the studying that I was doing. Let me just finish uh, verse 11. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So what I'm going to read right now from this commentary has to do with God's holy institution of marriage. When we sin against our marriage, our marriage vows, we sin against an institution that God has established. Marriage is God's idea, not man's. He formed and established the first marriage as a pattern for everyone afterwards in Genesis 2, 20 to 25. Because it is an institution, we are not allowed to define marriage any way that pleases us. God has established it and we must conform to what he has established. When we sin against our marriage or our marriage vows, we sin against something that God loves. God loves marriage for what it displays about his relationship with us. We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. God's love, God loves marriage for the good it does in society. 
we are gonna we are seeing and gonna see further what man's institution of marriage does compared to God's institution of marriage. Remember, God instituted marriage. Man now is making a second weak, watered-down copy of God's institution and the standards that he has set. God loves marriage for the way it meets the needs of men, women, and children. Most of all, God loves marriage as a tool for conforming us into the image of his son. Now we see in this verse 11 at the end, he has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now two things were taking place back in Malachi 2. The guys, the priests, were divorcing their wives and marrying pagan women. Or they were divorcing their wives who were growing older with them to marry younger women. But there was also a spiritual adultery going on. They were taking on the practices of the pagan religions. So there was a spiritual adultery taking place. Israel were marrying women from Moab, and that brought the curse of God upon the people. Remember, Solomon married foreign women who took his heart away from God. Ahab married Jezebel, who was a foreign woman, who led Israel into new depths of depravity. And Paul says in the New Testament that believers and unbelievers should not be joined together. Serious commands from the Lord, because he doesn't want his creation hurt. Let's go down to verse 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with good will from your hands. One of the things that was taking place, the women that were being divorced were going to the altar and they were crying. If you know the Old Testament covenant, if there wasn't a kinsman redeemer, someone that could carry on the heritage, the women were just left out to dry. So they were pouring out their, their heart on these altars, the very altars that their husbands or ex-husbands would go to to pray and offer sacrifice to God. They were making the altars of God contemptible. God wasn't listening to these men after what they were doing to the Lord. They weren't holy. They weren't set apart. They weren't doing what they were called to do, to be godly husbands, to be leaders in the community that would represent God to the people who looked at them. Let's continue with verse 15. But he did not make them one, having a remnant of... But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Again, being addressed to the people in Malachi 2, he wanted godly offspring coming from a godly marriage. The priest and his wife producing offspring that would carry on the things of God. 
wasn't happening when they were marrying the pagan women. How does this apply to you and to me? Again, spiritually speaking, when we have a relationship with the things of the world, the things that take our eyes off of Christ, the things that don't set us apart, that we blend in with the world, we're having that spiritual adultery. And God can't honor that. So maybe tonight, God is saying to every one of us, check yourself. How are you doing in your relationship with me? Is there someone or something that's causing a rift between our relationship? Nothing should come between your relationship with Jesus. Nothing. And we just need to have those ears to hear what God is trying to say to each, of, each one of us. None of us is, are immune from the things God wants us to know because none of us are where we need to be in our walk with the Lord. It's a progressive thing. God's not finished with us yet. Verse 16, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the book of Ruth. And if you remember Ruth, when she went up on the threshing floor, Boaz had just finished dinner with his men who had been working, and he laid down to sleep. And Naomi had told Ruth to go up to uh, Boaz and go at his, lay at his feet and cover yourself with his garment, with the covering that he was, the blanket that was on him. And if he wakes up and he sees that, and he's in agreement with it, he would be Ruth's covering. He would be her protector. He was willing to marry her. So what's happening here in verse 16 is in that verse under where it says, God hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence. When that priest was leaving the wife of his youth and going to marry another, he was ripping that covering away. It was a violent tearing of that relationship with that woman to try to cover another woman. But what happens is when you rip that garment away, something from that priest was being ripped away too. There was a violence going in his soul, in his heart. He was not the man that God wanted him to be. Verse 17, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say... In what way have we wearied you or wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? What was going on in this verse is they were coming to God and saying, look at all the evil that's going on. Look at all the people, what they're doing. Nothing's happening to them. They seem to be very prosperous. Everything seems to be good. Where are you, God? Where is your justice here? Why don't you take care of these people? Why doesn't something happen to show that me, who I'm following God, is a heck of a lot different than these people, and I'm having a hard time, and everything's going well with them? Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought that yourselves? When we see the things and some of the prosperous things of people in the world who are just doing their own thing. The lifestyle of the rich and famous, you know. Well, God was getting weary with the people who were saying this, his people that were saying this to him. 
And the reason he was getting weary with this is because they did not understand what we have looking back in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, just like he did with you and me, you know, we think of things that might happen in relationships, but just think of things that happen in our relationship with the living God. How we've fallen so short of his standards so many times, yet what does he do? He allows us to repent. He, he forms that bond again with us. He receives us back. The Lord is not slack in fulfilling his promises. He's patient. He's long-suffering. Why? So that you don't perish. So that person, that non-believer, that believer who still maybe they've been saved for 10 years, but they seem like they're still a baby Christian. Understand that it's God's patience and long-suffering that he has towards them, that he had towards us, before we became sold out to Christ, and that he's saying that you and I need to have towards those people too. But, Vinny, I can't do that. You're right. You can't do it. It's the spirit of the living God in you that remolds you from the inside out. And understand this truth in God's word too. Behold, the judge stands before the door. The God of judgment is at hand. He is the judge. If you're a believer here tonight, he's not your judge anymore. He's your savior. He's your Lord. He's your friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you haven't sold yourself out to him, he's your judge. He's going to judge you for your sins. And if you leave this earth before getting right with Jesus Christ, you will be eternally separated from him in the eternal resting place, the lake of fire. There'll be a stop on the way to the lake of fire. It's what we know is hell. But hell one day is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. No one wants that for anybody here or in the sound of this CD. No one, God doesn't want it. We don't want it. So what are we looking at tonight as we think of the blood covenant? Jesus Christ came to this earth. He loved us so much that he lived 33 years on this earth. He set an example. We can identify with him. He was a human being that took on our flesh, but he never sinned. He was truly God and truly man. He went to the cross in your place and my place for your sins and my sins. He paid the price in full. His blood washes away your sins. Now, you, if you are saved, just say, well, Lord, I just want to be more like you. I want to be led by your spirit. And if you're not saved, you need to get saved. Why? Because that's the truth. There's no other truth. There's no other way. There's no other way. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation. 
from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.